Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, being with me today. I hope you had a great weekend and the sun is shining here in the Twin Cities and I couldn't be happier. It's a nice fall day and it's Monday. I love Mondays, so I hope you do too. Thanks uh, for tuning into the show. We're going to have a great one, by the way, just so you know. Patrick Albanese will be joining me in just a minute. And then Jeff Lucas, who's a pastor, is joining me. He's written a book called Notorious, talking about rogues, scoundrels, and scallywags of the Bible. And then uh, Ken Samples is going to be with us in the second hour. He's written a book on end times. So get your questions ready, because we'll take them. Uh, 877-933-2484. But to get things started, let's take a quick 60 seconds and bring on Patrick. A great way to stay informed on what's happening at Faith Radio is through the Faith Radio newsletter. Just go to MyFaithRadio.com and click on the newsletter link under the subscriptions tab. Submit your information there, and you'll be emailed a new newsletter the first Monday of each month with information on the latest interviews, articles, and giveaways. Again, visit MyFaithRadio.com and look under Subscriptions to sign up for the Faith Radio newsletter. You have your people, the people who help you connect faith to life. When they show a simple trust, those people are your kids. When it's unconditional forgiveness, maybe it's your spouse. And when it's someone who serves and teaches and encourages, maybe it's your pastor. We all have people. At Faith Radio, we are a collection of those people growing together every day in the ways of grace and hope and truth. Connecting faith to life. Faith Radio. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad on Mondays I get a chance to talk to my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa, Patrick Albanese. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. Good to be here. (laughs) By the way, I, I still am waiting... You started a text message to me, and you know the little bubbles appeared on my phone? Yeah, they still bubbling? It's been three days. Could you just finish the message and hit send? <laughs> I will get that thought complete and get it sent. Thank you very much. Don't cancel it like you normally do. After three days of staring at those bubbles, like, it's gone. <laughs> Let's talk it's... about, we always try to talk about what happened over the weekend. That's one of our hooks. So did, yeah. jo- did Joker come out this weekend? Joker came out, I guess, yeah, this week, and, you know, it's not on my list of things to see. It no. looks disturbing. That actually, movies is an interesting topic, because my, my son is so much like me, and I, I think you have this, too. Unlike most teenage boys, zero, zip, zip, zip interest in horror movies. Yeah, None. I have, I have no interest at all. Why would, I, why would I want to put those images in my head? Uh, I haven't seen a Halloween. I haven't seen a Nightmare on Elm Street. I've never, I've seen scenes of The Exorcist because you can't get away from it, but never, never went to see it, won't rent it, you name it. I go, no. Why would you want to put those images that feel like they're uh, based in satanic or demonic influence 
into your head in any way, shape, or form? Well, I remember seeing uh, American Werewolf in London, which I don't, I don't think that's a horror film, but, you know, I got talked into going to see it. And, and I couldn't get just an image of this guy in a, in a horrifically poor fashion turning into a werewolf. So, uh, uh, and I remember, and I'm a teenager, I think, when that movie came out. And he, uh, there was a scene where, you know, he jumps out of the bushes at somebody. And, and now I can't get that image out of my head. And I go, oh, my gosh, I'm like that kid that's afraid to go down the basement anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah, just, you used to run up the basement fast, didn't you? In the event that someone was chasing and is going to grab you and drag you back down. Oh, was there anything more terrifying than a sibling closing the basement door while you're downstairs and turning the lights out on you? <laughs> oh, man. No. You, you go, ah, 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 you know, and it's, uh, there's, there's nothing down there, you know, but uh, it's, it, yeah, you would fly up those stairs. Yeah. Why, why is that? You know, so, I, like I say, I, I don't think I watch anything more terrifying than like a Bela Lugosi movie in black and white, and they were, you know, pretty low quality, and that was enough to frighten me. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that there's theaters uh, having... A lot of people walking out of this movie because it's so terrifying. This uh, movie called Joker. Yeah. I think you can kind of watch the preview and get a pretty good idea that it's something you might not want to see. You know, if you like that kind of thing, well, go see it. But, you know, to act surprised, it's like going to see Jaws going, you're not going to believe this, but the sharks were eating the people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So... Has this Joker movie, have they um, uh, disassociated with the Marvel comics? There's there's no Batman in this, is there? No Batman. So this, I guess, is the pre-story as to how he got the way he did. Okay. And he's evil. And it, it's amazing because I think back in the old, you know, Cesar Romero days, uh, you know, the Joker looked like somebody you'd kind of want to hang out with. You're going, this guy's got the coolest gags. He's got not, some really cool stuff. Well, and not to mention how easy it would be to find the criminals back then. I mean, the Riddler, he's got an all-green suit on with question marks on it. Yeah, yeah, he didn't exactly blend in. I don't think they ever had those guys incognito, did they? <laughs> never, never. Yeah, I still, nobody ever followed anybody to the Batcave. I just, it's like, how do you... You know, I, I've always wondered about the logic of not figuring out that it was Bruce Wayne. You know, it's it's okay. There's an uncanny resemblance. Let's set that aside for the moment. But gosh, who in town here would have the resources to build an underground hideaway and uh, develop all these very high tech, very expensive weapons? You'd think that guy would have to be very wealthy. Yeah. And wouldn't you know it? He's got a sidekick that looks just like <laughs> that. Uh, uh, Robin, uh, not Robin, but uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Dick Grayson. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I don't even know what a ward is. <laughs> I don't. Even, I don't either. Is that hired help? I think so. Was he supposed to be cutting the grass? Did he you know, ever put on the the Robin suit and he's out there, you know, <laughs> trimming the bushes, saying this this ward thing is? I mean, I get a nice house, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> but the bigger picture here, and if we're going to look for one, we might as well while we're at it. Uh, there's a glamorization that that uh, involves guns, involves psychotic behavior, and a lot of people who are not mentally well are going to look at this character and want to imitate at some level. I don't know where Hollywood Hollywood gets off on being so anti-guns when every movie that they ever have has got all these guns in them. 
Yeah, and it's horrific violence. I mean, uh, I know that kind of violence can't exist in the real world, but usually the, the Hollywood portrayal of violence is much more graphic. Uh, I, you know, and it's, it's amazing because I'm seeing this, and I, I'm sure it's people on the right and the left and all over the place saying, well, this movie might trigger somebody who has a mental illness to go out and start doing stuff like this. And I said, you know, for years I've listened to you guys tell me that uh, I was foolish for thinking the the ease with which you would have uh, people hopping from bed to bed and the various relationships that you would have people have the casual sex, so to speak, you know, all those things you said, no, 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 no. Kids don't get any ideas from that. That doesn't affect anybody in any way, shape or form. And you just don't have to watch it if you don't want to. Yeah, these are the people that removed smoking because they thought if a kid saw one of their celebrities smoking in a movie that they might start smoking. So I, I knew they were, they understood the power that their medium had to influence behaviors that said there might be people wanted to imitate it. But isn't it kind of late to come out with this thinking, you know, I mean, did it just get, was it a movie that got out of hand as they were making it? And they just decided to get crazier and crazier with the violence. And now they, they've created something that people are afraid will trigger somebody. Exactly. And isn't it incredibly intellectually dishonest to say we need to take smoking out of movies because we don't want to influence kids, yet sex and violence remains? Yeah, bigger than ever it, when you think about it. I mean, it's just, you know, we were watching one of the, is it, it was one of the cartoon series on television, and the first couple seasons started out just fine. Here's your basic mild-mannered superhero, you know, thrust into the limelight and having to save people and gets into situations and gets out of situations. And then it suddenly you go, it's getting political. And then the next thing you know, there's multiple Earths. And on the other Earth, this person has a same-sex relationship. And, you know, my son, who's nine now, who's eight when we, you know, he just, he said, I'm not interested. And it, I don't think it means, you know, that he's a homophobe or anything like that. But I think what it means is that he said he didn't get what happened to the show. Like, why did why did the show go away from just rescuing people and, you know, watching this guy do superhero stuff? Mm -hmm. Why did he have to go into he he felt preached to like this isn't about superheroes anymore. It's about something else. Yeah. So he lost interest. And I go, well, I mean, they do that a lot. And then they wonder what happens. And then they label people that drop off watching it as, you know, haters, but they, it's like, well, you're not good anymore. You know, <laughs> I mean, but they have a James Bond coming out, right? And it, and I guess he's retiring or he's taking a sabbatical and they're going to have a, a female lead. And so a lot of people are just questioning saying, well, um, that's different. Yeah, it doesn't have to be James Bond, but I don't know if I'm interested in seeing that. And they're labeled, you know, misogynist. Right. Well, but that's not what the James Bond character was. Right. You, know, you can create a whole new character if you wish. We don't have any problem with female strong characters. Lara Croft in Tomb Raider. Mm -hmm. well, you know, quite beloved. And there, there are many other ones. So you could, you could make another one, but you had to appropriate. That's cultural appropriation, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. We better take a break based on that comment. And we will be right back with Patrick Albanese, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa and the prestigious city of West Des Moines. Be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Patrick Albanese is my guest, as he always is on Mondays. To get things started, we chat about what goes on over the weekend and what we're going to look forward to throughout the week. And as we were just chatting about entertainment, we were uh, talking about movies, but we've got lots of entertainment coming up this week. We've got a Minnesota Twins Game 3 against New York right here in the Twin Cities. I know what I'm doing tonight. I don't know about you. Uh, you'll be biting your nails. Is I will be. Doing. Yeah, I'm biting them in advance because I'm, I'm a little nervous. That uh, that game the other day was a little bit brutal. Oh yeah, it was painful. Yeah, that's uh, I, be- I, be- I believe that that should have happened in Baltimore, where most of the violence takes place. <laughs> so, if we think about what's going on in our country, I think we can sit and reflect upon a fair amount of good news that's happening, um, and I don't think we do that enough. I mean, there is uh, there is a record number of people employed. There is, you know, what appears to be um, a fairly strong economy. More money in people's pockets. Yeah. 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 That doesn't necessarily mean there's greater spiritual health just because there's more money in a person's pocket. Sometimes that can work the other way. Um, people do end up coming to God when they're feeling uh, strained and desperate. But I think God will, you know, take people at any stage of their life. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to know he's there when the chips are down, but he's there when the chips are up. You know, he's. Uh, he... <laughs> Is that even a saying? I don't know. I think you just made it one. I just made it one. But, you know, we, we both understand that, you know, sometimes people go to reach out to God when they're desperate uh, just because they've exhausted all the human possibilities and they're finally ready to relinquish control, finally ready to say, I'll take my hands off the steering wheel. God, you take over and I'm open because... Everything I've tried has failed. So you're right. Sometimes when things are going extremely well, you feel like, well, I should just stay in control of this vehicle because it's all going my way. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't wish poor, any, you know, anything bad to happen to anybody. But I, I, it would be nice if we could find a way to, in that, when things are really good, to at least stop and go, thank you, God. This is really what a wonderful thing, you know, I mean, we, when we pray in the family and we always have the kids do it. And so they've, you know, they've gotten the hang of what it is to be grateful for. But, um, you know, I know that a lot of that's not going to really dawn on them until they get a little bit older and realize, oh, we've really got it good. They don't know any differently. It's, it's status quo for them. You know, there's mac and cheese anytime they want it. Mm-hmm. Courtesy of dad. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. It is, yeah, things are very good, but, you know, the news won't talk about it because it's, it's amazing to see the people. There's, you know, 110 people. I think I found it. I'm running for president and I'm leading. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot but of people in the race. They're not talking about the economy at all, which I, 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 I'd say, well, okay, we've had a couple of debates and there's another one coming up. I would like to know their thoughts on what their plans are to continue this growth. The fact that we're not touching it, if, if they're saying we're not going to touch it because it's it's good news for Trump and we don't want to talk about it, I think they could turn it into a positive for themselves by saying, well, here's my plan. Yes, things are good if they could muster up the courage to admit that things are good. But um, and here's how I plan to continue that for everybody. But they won't even touch that, which is a puzzler to me. It's like, come on, give it a whirl. I'm open. I'd like to hear your plan. It makes me think that their plans they know are going to wreck everything. And so that's why they're not talking about it. Well, it does seem that it's easier to point a finger and yell and scream than it does have a concrete plan 
that would in involve details and execution, and that if you would vote for me, I would go ahead and, and make sure that happens. Well, and Trump's plan a few years ago was very simple. It was, uh, we got to get rid of a lot of these regulations and do some tax cuts and just kind of get out of the way and let the, you know, that American free enterprise do its thing. And so that's a pretty simple message. We, we want, I want, the, I want the government to get out of your way. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a lot of candidates saying, well, here's how we're going to get involved in your life and we're going to control this and we're going to control that. I, I, right now, Iowa, for instance, you know, somewhat related, they're, they're looking to pass a new thing that says um, it will no longer be allowed on a job application to ask about a criminal history. And so you can't ask, which I find interesting that somebody be allowed to say, scrub your social media history and find out if you've thought incorrect thoughts, hmm. <laughs> you know, or, or maybe a couple of years ago posted something and they could reject you on that take your job away for that. But if you are actually somebody who committed real crimes, you're not allowed to ask. Now, I want felons to get a second chance. But I just find it interesting that we're changing the direction of where we're putting the, the government thumb that's going to hold you down or the boot on the neck saying, well, what, it's obvious they seem to be wanting to police your thoughts and the fact that maybe, you know, you expressed dislike of something. That'd be frightening. Imagine if somebody, you know, because well, we, you have 10, 30 million listeners. I forget what you got. I got, I think, 40 million last time I checked. I just, checked eight, I just checked eight seconds ago. 40, those 40 million people, if somebody were to say, we want to, we want to listen to, we want to see who you listen to. It's got a lot of heats coming down. On you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you're in trouble too then, just so you know. Uh, you know, I'll see, I've said this before, we create technology, then technology turns around and recreates us. And so you always have to be very careful about what kind of technology gets created. And I look at Twitter and Facebook and all of these online ways of communicating. This big picture, if we look at it, has it been better or worse for people? I'm not saying for the country or the world, but for individual people. Are people better off or worse off? Now, I'm going to say worse oh, as much as I love those platforms. I get it. Yeah, there are good things about them and, you know, being able to see what people are doing with their real lives. Uh, you know, and I don't want to go to Facebook and have people tell me I'm a dodo because I don't believe in Medicare for all or mm -hmm. something like that. So, okay, you know. I, I run into that one occasionally. It's like, okay, make your best argument why you're against Medicare for all and don't tell me because you like freedom of choice. Because that'll immediately get you blocked. You know, I get they'll go, uh, okay. So they'll systematically take away every objection you already have, and they say, go, and now go. Well, I got nothing left. <laughs> you right. So I, I think it has made a lot of things worse. And I, I think there's a way to test. If you get off of one of those platforms and your heart starts is racing, or your blood's boiling, or your 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 brain is kind of preoccupied with something somebody said, maybe that's not good. It's pretty easy to find. I, I I can, I really quickly, if I see the start of a post, I say, I already know the direction it's going. I don't need to read the rest of it. All due respect to even some of these people are good friends. And we disagree on some things, but I see that you're ranting. We're not going to accomplish anything by me listening to you rant and absorbing some of the anger that you have. Where are we going with this? Mm -hmm. So I think you have to be very vigilant, uh, you know, in, in, in watching 
what you consume, you kind of, you know, I mean, remember grandma was always the, you know, birds of a feather flock together and you become part of what you uh, consume. Uh, as of my grandma, I don't know about your grandma. Yeah, but, she was uh, the birds of a feather gr grandma too. Birds of, yeah, they're all yeah, birds, they're of all birds of a feather grandmas. They, uh, that's, that was the era back then. <laughs> it was. They were, they were on too. You know, you were your kid, you say, well, I don't, I don't get that grandma. Where are the butterscotches? <laughs> <laughs> Can I have a butterscotch candy? Where's the jar? I know you got a glass jar tinted green on a coffee table in one of the rooms in this and house. Where is it? Because I want where? a butterscotch. I need a butterscotch. Yeah. yeah. But I just it's, think it, uh, the, the social media platforms have encouraged people to show more of their ugly side than their kind side. When I read yeah, some I, of the responses after an article, a news article, I'm always curious to check three or four responses and usually, usually the venom is strong and thick. Yeah, and there, it's, it's, it's amazing. You can, somebody can direct personal insults. I mean, I saw somebody put up a posting for, uh, they needed some help making a short movie, and they were looking for sources of funding, and one person just said, hey, you should try a GoFundMe account. And the person unleashed with all the venom as if you had just, you know, attacked their mother in a parking lot. <laughs> Like, I tried that, you, and then with the numbskull insults and a whole bunch of things, you go, this is the new norm? Yeah. That this was just a perfectly innocent question. Hey, have you tried this? Well, you're an idiot and leave me alone. You know, it was very, very strange, but it was also kind of a window because I thought, well, this is how we are now. It's almost like throwing snowballs at cars from behind a, a brick wall. <laughs> you go, Nothing will happen to me. I'm very safe back here. You know, it's like uh, you're, you're behind Andre the Giant yelling insults uh, at the bully. You feel pretty safe behind Andre the Giant. Yeah, exactly. That's what social media has done. But, you know, you take away the social media and would you go up to that person's face and, and say some of these things? Mm, I don't I think guess. so. I mean, you and I are chicken, right? Basically. Yeah. I mean, if I was okay. ever at a movie, my, my line would be, hey, you guys, let's get out of here. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, you know, I've never even been really good at being the guy that uh, can go up to the noisemakers a couple of rows up and say, you know, knock it off. <laughs> in the movie theater? Yeah, in the movie, you know, yeah. you go, guy's really annoying me. So why don't you go say something? Because I, I really don't want to bother him. You know, he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he seems like it's such a deep down a good person. He's just deep a little noisy right now. Probably having a bad day. Yeah, you know? yeah I'm just going to cut I him some slack. Yes, ex you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, God, talk about it. Well, that just does not make us uh, very strong in that regard. Ah, uh, don't worry about it. We, yeah. have, we have all of our teeth. I'm a creature of habit. You we know. have all of our teeth. Yeah, it is. We are, we're creatures of habit. Yeah, we live it, in a... It's, it's actually not unusual for me to, uh, like, I go to the gym and listen to the same playlist for 30, 40 years, actually. <laughs> <laughs> The songs that worked for you 30 years ago are still working for you now. That's the good news. Yeah. Yep, that's true. Hot off the presses. All right. I'm going to have to uh, take a break here. So, Patrick, thanks for being my guest today. I always look forward to our chat on Mondays. Me too. All right. We'll take a short break and be back with lots more in just a minute.
I've got a book in my hand called Notorious, an integrated study. I'm not sure what the word integrated means, but I like it. An integrated study of the rogues, scoundrels, and scallywags of Scripture, written by Jeff Lucas. Jeff is an author, a radio host, and an all-around funny guy. Jeff, welcome. Great to be with you, Bill. Thank you. Yeah, I love your approach. I like you. I liked you instantly, and uh, I like uh, what you've got in this book. Nicely Thank done. You. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed um, really enjoyed creating this, Bill, because I think sometimes these characters are somewhat overlooked. They're just kind of like secondary characters in the major narrative, but. We can learn a lot from the bad guys, not least not following the pathway that they went down. So, yeah, it's just been a really enjoyable experience. Quite sobering, too, at times, because, yeah, um, yeah but, was, but a good study. Jeff, was there any one villain in particular that kind of intrigued you, and then you started to study, 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 and you thought, hey, let's look at some of the other villains while I'm at it? Well, I think that um, Mikal, I think, is the way that we pronounce her name, Mikal, the daughter of Saul. You remember that story when uh, David danced before the Lord, and uh, apparently it's just possible that the linen ephod slipped, which is always awkward. And uh, she was rather offended um, by that. And I just think she's a, not only an intriguing character, Bill, but she's got a lot to say to Christians, because I think I think we Christians can be quite good at perfecting the art of being offended. Um, you know, you see this in church life. Um, some people go to church to actually get offended, and they're offended if they're not offended. And, I mean, let's face it, if you've been around church for a while, and I love I love the church, but if you want something to be offended about, then just join a church, really, because there's plenty of scope. But what can happen is that we can weaponize offense, which is what she did, and we can we can do the pouting lip routine, and suddenly we become the victim, while all of the time really manipulating our way into being the victor, which is pretty shrewd and somewhat mean. So yeah, as, I mean I've been a pastor for over forty years, and I've I've met some amazing, wonderful people, and I've also met a few people. Maybe you bumped into them as well, who kind of been offended since birth. They got upset with the midwife. You know, don't, <laughs> don't slap me, honey. So, uh, so yeah, I think, I think she's a very, a very relevant character. I'm not sure about the way David treated her, because he basically said, I'm going to just go ahead and do this, which I think is the biblical equivalent of you can stick this in your pipe and smoke it. Right. But nevertheless, it's an intriguing episode. Now, I find the premise, uh, Jeff, interesting how, of course, you being a pastor for 40 years, you're going to have more people coming to you being offended. And for many, I'm sure their default response is, I need things to be just right, and if they're not right, I'm going to be offended. Yeah, and often what they really mean as well, well, there's a couple of things, Bill. What they often mean is, I want things to be done my way. Yeah, I think, And yeah. you're not doing it my way. In fact, one of the other characters in the study, which is, the, the, is Cain in the Cain and Abel story, which is which is really about consumerist worship. You know, I, I'm going, I just want to worship God my way. I don't like that song. The drums are too loud. Um, and, and then the next step with that is, and I'm pretty sure God doesn't like the song or the drums as well. And so I think often what fuels our offense, it's not necessarily what's right or wrong. It's what we like or we don't like. And in, I think in, in some circles, offending someone is almost like the ultimate sin. 
it places those in leadership in a relatively impossible situation. It's, it's a bit like the person who says, I'm not being fed by the sermons. Well, how, how do you quantify that? You can't use a scientific instrument to measure feeding capacity of a sermon. Mm -hmm. And so you're in a lose-lose situation. And I think, frankly, you know, a, quite a lot of this kind of behavior can, can go on but it all looks rather pious. Even as we're offended, we can make ourselves feel like we're actually defending God rather than personally offended about our preferences. Yeah. Jeff, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about Cain, kind of a villain and or a scoundrel yeah. or a rogue or a scallywag, whatever we want to call him. Yeah, I'm always, I'm yeah. always, I'm always amused by the, uh, the bumper sticker that I see that says, hate is not a family value. And then I think, well, I remember when there was only one family on earth, and in that family there was a murder. Seems like hate yeah. is a family value. Absolutely right. And isn't it one of the things that I celebrate about Scripture is the fact that it's not loaded full of airbrushed, <clears throat> excuse me, airbrushed grinning heroes who always get it right. I think the other thing, Bill, is that often we categorize people, and they're either bad or they're good. Um, they're sound or they're unsound. And in some of these villains, they're rather obviously bad. I mean, there's not much, there's not much redemption in Jezebel, and Herod the Great wasn't so great. But with the Cain and Abel story, with some of the other stories, it wasn't just that they were totally bad. They just did some bad things. And so with Cain, it's one of those stories in the Bible that I come to, and frankly, I don't like it. And I think it's okay to not like everything that's in scripture. I don't think there's anything heretical about struggling with with truth, if you will. But I think Cain, his problem, most commentators say, was that he wanted to worship God his way. And if you dig deeply into the story, it seems that that was the root of God rejecting his offering. Because at first glance, it all seems a bit arbitrary, really. But Cain seems, seems to want to do things his way. And again, in in today's church, consumerism can be such a problem, and worship can become a consumer item where preferences are very definitely expressed. And then what we do is we forget that the heart of worship is to bring ourselves as an offering to God. It, yeah, there's some feel-good factor in that, and, and we are strengthened and edified as we get together, sing our songs, pray our prayers. But ultimately, it's not just when it's certainly not primarily about us. And so I think Cain has got a lot to say um, in his negative examples. And Bill, I'd just say this as well, because some people said to me, why focus on the villains? You know, surely we should, we should be focusing on the good people. Well, 1 Corinthians 10 talks about the negative example of Israel with their wanderings and meanderings and forgetting who God was. And Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us that we can learn from their negative example. So I kind of applied that principle across the board and have done that with these various um, biblical nasties, if you like. Yeah, and beautifully done. So, Jeff, you mentioned that, that the antagonists of the Bible are more like us than we would think. Maybe you would explain that some. Well, I, I, I think often we can forget our capacity either for great good and nobility or for great evil. Um, I was preaching at a men's conference recently, and we were talking about morality, and, and, and I found myself making the statement that um, some of us have never had an affair, and it's not because we're 
massively more noble than the guy who does. Um, the reality is that some of us have not had the opportunity yet, and therefore we haven't been tested. Now, it went a little bit quiet when I said that, but I think a recognition of our own fragility, um, of our own potential to do, frankly, some pretty monstrous things if we were given the opportunity or if we were angry enough or tempted enough. I think if we're not careful, we can, we can, it comes back to this categorization thing. We can just say they're bad people. Well, actually, most people don't start off their day saying, I'm going to do something absolutely horrendous. There are people seriously committed to an evil lifestyle, but I think it's a good thing for us to be aware of the potential that there is in us all to do things that are wonderful or really terrible. And that awareness can keep us on the straight and narrow. It's a very interesting observation you made in front of those men. And it is true, people are tested in different ways. And it's how you respond in those times of testing. But not everyone is up against the same kinds of tests. Exactly. And another character I look at in, in, in this study, and, and it's an integrated study, Bill, in that it's like this, it's designed for small group use with, uh, but with some video drop-ins and, and some Bible study notes and ser- even sermon outlines so that a, a church can move through this together. Potiphar's wife comes up. I mean, I feel, I, I feel like 1% sympathy for her mm-hmm. because she's not even named in the Bible. She's just simply Potiphar's wife. But the sympathy dies when, even as a result of her relentless attempts at seduction, um, Joseph doesn't give way and then, of course, she turns around and throws accusation at him anyway. So there's nothing much redemptive in, in her. But again, it's a portrait that shows us that not only do we have the potential for bad, but the potential for great and good choices when tested. And then, like Saul the persecutors in the study, of course, Saul the persecutor ended up being the Apostle Paul, who gave us a third of the New Testament and live such an amazing life. So so there's great hope here to say whatever our struggles, fragilities, weaknesses, we we can change as we cooperate daily with the Holy Spirit, make good choices, but also realize that we have the capacity as well to do some rather stupid, foolish and destructive things also. Mm-hmm. Jeff, I would love for you to talk a little bit about uh, Jezebel. Yeah, I mean, Jezebel, uh, ironically, uh, although she's sort of famous as the Cruella de Vil of the the Old Testament bill, I think she's got a lot to say to people like me, uh, perhaps, you know, you, people who have got um, influence, maybe power, um, because I don't think, I don't think often that we do so well with power as we should. Christians generally do better when we're in the minority mm-hmm. and when we're on the edge. And we don't do so well when we find ourselves in the corridors of power. Jezebel's family line was loaded with, with soaked in blood. Her father killed his own brother to become a, a king in the, the nation of Tyre. And so she'd grown up with this completely murderous, dysfunctional family context. She's a purveyor of fear, so she wants to take Elijah out. 
And so she sends him a messenger to say, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. Notice, Bill, she doesn't send an assassin. She doesn't have to because fear is a devastating weapon that can be equally, well, not equally effective because if the assassin arrives, you don't have a pulse anymore. But fear can be such a missile. And so she sends a messenger to threaten him. And this guy who's he's done pretty well. I mean, you know, he's raised the dead. He's He's been fed by spitting ravens for quite a long while, called down fire from heaven. So he's got a pretty good track record. And yet he totally crumbles um, in the face of that fear. And, and the only prayer he can pray is a prayer for death, which is, you know, you, you might see an assortment of prayers on the, the average Christian refrigerator, but Lord, kill me now. Amen. He's not normally among them. And that's where Elijah ends up. That speaks to me um, as someone who in Christian leadership spent about a year in clinical depression, not only feeling bad, but feeling bad because I felt bad. That story really speaks to me. But the powerhouse behind his gloom and sadness was this Jezebel woman who totally manipulated and misused power as a pastor in a church I am conscious that when that person asks me an awkward question from the congregation, if I want to, I can just dismiss them as being divisive. Uh, they're threatening the unity of the church. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can label them and tag them and effectively silence them by just applying that little tag to them. And so spiritual abuse, the misuse of power, all of this is not just about... Um, a woman with dark eyeshadow sitting in uh, a palace with Ahab, her husband, but it also speaks to those of us who, in whatever context, we exercise influence and power ourselves. That's really interesting, Jeff. Jeff Lucas is my guest. I'm going to take a little break. We'll come back. Lots more. His book is called Notorious, an integrated study of the rogues, scoundrels, and scallywags of Scripture. We'll be right back. I'm so glad to have Jeff Lucas as my guest. He's written a book called Notorious, a study of the rogue scoundrels and scallywags of Scripture. And I think uh, of when, Jeff, right before we went to break, you were talking about power and how Christians don't always do well with power, and yet we're so attracted to it. It's just something that um, uh, most Christian men in particular are attracted to. And even if we want to be in a servant's role, we want to be called a servant leader. We, we just can't be a servant, can we? Right. And it, it's, it is, uh, I think it's especially dangerous. I mean, power is dangerous anyway. You know, the old quote about absolute power and all of that corrupting absolutely. But, but it's even worse in a spiritual context because we can, if I can, if I can express this somewhat crudely, Bill, we can drag God into our authority structure. And uh, that's a very potent mix when you've got a bullying leader who's insecure and can't cope with someone with a brain cell asking them a question. 
who can then shut that person down. And I, and, and and frankly, I, I've done this. And um, I remember in my early years as a church planter um, back in England, you probably noticed I got this accent thing. It's just recently been... Re- yeah, I just got had a successful accent refurbishment procedure back in England, so it's fairly fresh and new again. But back there, um, you know, we had a lady in our church who wanted to know why men did all the stuff in the church, and that was the that was the theological cultural package that had been handed to me as a young pastor, and uh, I didn't like her question, and her question was completely reasonable. And what I did is I kind of systematically shut her down and tagged her as just being you know, awkward. She's difficult. She's divisive, which is not 500 yards from let's burn the witch. I mean, it was <laughs> it was horrendous. And I'm glad to say that I go when I go back to the UK, I preach in the church where that lady and her husband are now and have been able actually 20 years ago to say, I am so sorry about the way that I misused my position because I found you to be awkward. And actually, she was totally right, but I just um, misused power in order to avoid the difficult questions. And so I think this stuff is very relevant for all of us at whatever context of power, in whatever context of power we have. Mm -hmm. I think if I were to ask people around the office, name one of the rogues, in the Bible, I bet a lot of people might say Judas Iscariot. Yeah, and uh, he's a such a difficult character, isn't he? Oh, in yeah. That, you know, uh, and there are all kinds of theological avenues you go down about his position and did he have to do it and predestination and all of that. And I'm gonna, not going to try and answer that in 20 seconds, but I think looking at his character again... I came away from thinking with with the thought that I'm wondering whether Judas was actually trying to manage Jesus. There are some commentators who would who would say that Judas was probably desperately upset that Jesus was not going to be the military messiah who would kick out the nasty Romans. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there was that expectation throughout from these good Jewish boys who were his disciples, Jesus' disciples. And so some would suggest that Judas set up the betrayal and the arrest because he wanted to spark a confrontation between Jesus and the authorities, which would ultimately um, push Jesus into a place of being that Messiah who would liberate Israel. In other words, putting it bluntly, perhaps Judas did what he did, not just because he wanted the money, um, but because he wanted to manage Jesus. Um, I read a book by a guy called Donald McCullough. It's one of my favorite authors. And he talks, one of the subtitles of his book um, was The Dangerous Illusion of a Manageable Deity. Well, wow, isn't that surely um, a threat to us that we feel like we have the right to, to manage God, to demand of God, and I think some of the extremes or some of the faith prosperity stuff that's been packaged and dispensed liberally over the years does that. But you don't have to be a grinning TV evangelist to, um, you know, uh, to do that stuff. It's possible for all of us to try to manage God. 
And then um, when we're disappointed, we stomp off in a huff, you know, Jonah style, and park ourselves firmly outside of the revival town that was Nineveh. <laughs> so this um, submission to God, which, of course, none of us find easy, I think Judas speaks to us uh, about that. Again, Bill, undeniably, with the suicide um, that takes place, again, it poignantly speaks to such a challenge that there is as well in today's culture with, with hopelessness and despair and the need for us in, in church life to, to talk about these things honestly. Um, so, yeah, again, uh, a character who in different ways is really relevant for us. Mm-hmm. I think of Judas, uh, Jeff, and then I think that many of us uh, come to God as mercenaries. We, we, we hope that God cooperates with our program and we want something from him. Absolutely. And isn't it true that um, as Christians, we need to go through the glorious academy of disillusionment? <laughs> I, I, used to, I, used to, I used to fear disillusionment, Bill, I thought, because it, it seems like just it's pretty closely related to cynicism. And I fear cynicism with, with a great terror. Um, but disillu- when you're disillusioned about something, you're divested of an illusion. Uh, we're all born into an illusion that we're the center of the universe. So, you know, when you're three months old, if you're hungry, you just scream. And if you need the bathroom, you just go. But you try doing that when you're 25, it's not going to work out well for you. You've been divested of the illusion that you're the center of the universe. And I think we need disillusionment in church. It's a bunch of broken people who are gradually being put back together in marriage because Hollywood never talks about people drooling on the pillow or um, or having morning breath or the other glorious things that accompany real life. Mm-hmm. But we need that with God too. We need, we need to be healthily disillusioned and led away from the idea that somehow he is a cosmic vending machine whose primary purpose is just to give us what we want. And maybe the pathway to maturity has to pass through disillusionment if we're going to really grow up in God. Mm-hmm. Jeff, the way you've laid the book out, it creates a, a Bible study that you, I assume, can do either individually or in a group setting. Yeah, um, there's either way. I mean, I've, I've written this specific, well, not specifically, but with definitely with small group in mind because there are some discussion starters there, but there's absolutely no reason why the individual couldn't do this. Daily Bible reading notes so uh, somebody could follow this um, with a kind of daily injection, if you like, of further study. And then with some video pieces, and the idea behind that, Bill, is that small groups can do this without a leader having to do loads of work. There's a 10 or 12-minute drop-in from a kind of FBI situation room-type setting that we've created. And then sermon outlines as well, and even slide um, slides, PowerPoint-type slides, so that if a church wanted to move through the material together, then they could uh, they could do a nine, ten-week, whatever it is, series um, based around all of this. No, I really appreciate uh, the work where the study and discussion questions are available, and you've got uh, challenges, and you've got uh, uh, topics to ponder, and it's really well laid out, and it's a uh, it's going to be a great study for whoever is going to pick this book up and, and also get the videos. It's, uh, I think it's 
I think it's very nicely laid out. Jeff, you did a great job on this. Appreciate it, Bill. Thank you, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk about it today. Yeah, you've been a delight. Uh, Jeff Lucas has been my guest, and again, the book is called Notorious, an integrated study of the rogue scoundrels and scallywags of Scripture. We'll take a short break and be back in just a minute. You're listening to the Faith Radio Network. Faith Radio is a media outreach ministry of University of Northwestern St. Paul, and we exist to lead people to Christ and to nurture believers in their faith. Together, we are growing in our faith through shows and programs on Faith Radio. You can find out more about these shows and read relevant articles on topics like relationships, business and finance, biblical studies, and church and culture on our website, myfaithradio.com. I am very much looking forward to our next hour coming up with Ken Samples. He's written a book called Christian Endgame, Careful Thinking About End Times. If you like the study of end times, you're not going to want to miss this hour. Get your questions ready. I bet you've already asked them before. Maybe you'll want to ask them again because you're still looking for answers. And I think Ken is uh, going to be a great resource. In hour two, 877-933-2484. Questions about end times. Again, 877-933-2484. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.